All right. Welcome back to the Law and Business Podcast. Heather, how are you doing today? Doing well. All right. And uh, remind everybody as to how they can find you. You can find me on my website at www.abyssilaw.com. You can reach me, Heather, at abyssilaw.com. Thank you. And and as always, our website still remains vernalaw.com. By the way, if you're liking what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to rate us five stars, five stars. No pressure. That's five. That's 10. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no pressure at all. No pressure. Uh, So today we're going to talk about about domain names and uh, domain names come in lots of different uh, uh, forms in today's world. You actually could put because Yes, I've researched the patents on this. I'm not going to bore you as to why I've researched the patents on this. But today, you could even put logos up in uh, up in the domain name. It's no longer just uh, words. However, of course, most of us don't have an ability to <laughs> access graphics in a URL. So it, it's mostly URL. The URLs come in different alphabets. <clears throat> the uh, Obviously, the Roman alphabet, obviously, Cyrillic alphabet. Uh, and the Arabic alphabet, there are domain names in lots of different languages. Uh, the biggest things that we see domain names uh, there are um, in, in on the legal side is obviously in some kind of dispute. Generally, it forms from from trademark law, but not always trademark law. And uh, Heather will talk a, a little bit later on, you know, how they get uh, uh, seized by the feds. Um, so let's start here. Uh, on the trademark side of life, we've got we've got two particular areas that if there's a d- dispute, the first dispute is through the United Nations and the uh, Uniform Domain Name Resolution Policy, and the other way is federal court. Which way should we go first, Heather? Let's. <laughs> I mean, why not open it up to the whole world, Anthony? Let's do the United Nations. Okay. Talk to me about the United Nations. <laughs> so, the arbitration process that goes through the United Nations. Uh, if there's a an issue under what's called the Uniform Domain Name Resolution Policy, it's usually going to be under Paragraph 3B of the U- Uniform Domain Name Re- Resolution Policy. And now I'm sounding too much like a lawyer, so I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> but effectively, there is some conflict, you know, between two domain names. Uh, what is required by the Uniform Domain Name Resolution Policy is the party making a complaint has to have a registered trademark in whatever country they feel like enforcing from. Um, so if you're an American company, you don't have to have an American trade registered trademark. It could be Canadian registered trademark. But anyway, you, you when you do. say there's a conflict between two domain names, Anthony, sure. what exactly do you mean? Do you mean that there is a, let's say, a Pakistani web page that is, you know, that domain and a U.S. one that is that domain, and so therefore they be. can't coexist. Or right, exactly. It is some particular aspect like that. Uh, you know, in trademark law, we use the phrase likelihood of confusion. In other words, it's two uh, two sets of words or or two words where there's similarity, and therefore consumers would be confused about it. Is that uh, ever resolved in favor of like, let's say, there is a you know, foreign branch of a company mm-hmm. that's owned by a different owner, let's say. Is there ever a resolution where the two owners can say, okay, you'll have your, you know, Pakistani branch right. and we'll have our U.S. branch and they oh, can wow. coexist? 
if they're the same company, I would certainly I would certainly hope so. But in... what if it's not? What if it was bought out? Like what if the subsidiary was bought out by a completely separate owner? Would you they know, still I, be allowed to coexist? I would hope in today's world that they would take care of that during the during the you know sale of the assets or the sale of the business, however that that's taken care of. <laughs> You'd uh, hope but, so, wouldn't you? Well, you would hope so, right? You would hope like like, gee, when we're thinking about business assets, domain names, you know, all the URLs we have is under there. I have but, a specific example in my brain where this wasn't handled. <laughs> that's why I'm asking Anthony, just out of pure morbid curiosity. <laughs> well. If 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 a sale happens and, uh, you know, the, the URLs are somehow forgotten, um, that's I mean, frankly, that is a part of the of the uniform domain name resolution policy. Generally, they're going to, the the United Nations court wants to only has the ability to find um, a, a registration is if a registration is made in bad faith. So in that particular instance. Uh, there's a, a registration which was made in, or the registration of the domain name, not the trademark, the domain name was made in good faith because it was owned by a business in that particular instance. It was used by the business in that particular instance. And therefore, uh, that would be, of course, a good faith registration, even if it's not passed on to the new company. So I don't know that that would be a, a bad faith registration in that particular instance. Uh, we're really looking for under the Uniform Domain Name Resolution Policy, we really are looking for the bad actors who um, are purposely trying to rip off, to cause confusion to consumers. Someone who doesn't really have um, an inherent interest in registering that domain name that either resembles a registered trademark or is close to, or close to it or might be a different... Um, different extension in other words a different uh, uh, instead of a .com a .co something that that the marks are similar and the intent to not use it for whatever particular reason does not exist what about a situation where like let's say anthony um i wanted to register anthonyverna.com and i wanted to do that so that you couldn't have it Right. What what happens in that situation? What's your remedy if you decide, hey, that's my name? Well, you wouldn't. Um, you depending upon who you are. <laughs> I'm Heather Abyssi. I'm not Anthony Verna. Well, no, I know that. I know that. But 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 believe it or not, depending on who that person is, whose name it is, is probably going to determine what the outcome is. Um, for example. I still think to this day, Bruce Springsteen's uh, Bruce Springsteen has to go to BruceSpringsteen.net, uh, if I recall correctly. Uh, that is because the Bruce Springsteen fan club registered BruceSpringsteen.com back in the day. That's, That's right. The fan club got to it before he did. Yeah. Now I I always think about your intellectual property. I I, I know. Now I you know it has been um, a long time, so I'm going to take my clicky keyboard. And look it up. And and yes, to this day, it is still Bruce Springsteen.net. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would have expected at some particular point between now and then, Bruce Springsteen has enough money to kind of buy it. But um, in that particular instance, the fan club registered Bruce Springsteen.club. And that was not a bad faith registration of the domain name because they use it as the Bruce Springsteen fan club. So despite his fame, 
there that was a good faith registration of the domain name. So when I say it depends on who it is, there are people there there's a group of people who took, you know, the the name of the person, registered the domain name and had a good faith registration for it. If those people if Bruce Springsteen were not famous, what would possibly be the good faith you know reason for registering that domain name? Now, the problem here, of course, comes in the fact that most people's names aren't registered trademarks. So you are going to have that that particular problem as well for most you know regular people. All of us normies out there. Woo. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a big issue. So you, you're going to have to be able to, uh, again, have a federally registered mark, and and most of us don't. So so the UDRP is actually not going to be um, the avenue that I would take in that particular instance because it will be a loss because you're just not registered. Is um, there a remedy? Well, uh, in the United States, uh, we we do a lot of states have name image likeness rights. Um, boy, am I having deja vu. Uh, <laughs> and so your name, image, likeness rights are going to be enforced, uh, you know, state by state. So there might be, um, if there's a harm to you there, there might be. But in that particular instance, I don't think just registering the domain name is going to be enough. So it would have to be for a malicious purpose, most likely. So right. I'm registering it knowing, let's say, that you were starting a company or podcast and that I would be shaking you down for it. Like, right. I mean, that could be it. Or, or maybe you register Anthony sucks. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who want to do that, but, but you could do that and, and you could post defamatory information at which point, uh, you, you know, Hey, uh, the, the, there might, you know, defamation as we know, very high bar to very high bar to hit. But not just not just that. It's then you're dealing with the content itself. In a domain name, you know, again going back to the to the arbitration of the uh, of the uh, uh, uniform domain name resolution policy, the content of the website doesn't particularly matter. Um, it's the names itself. What what when it does matter is do you have a good faith reason to register it or not? Um, and 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 believe it or not, if it's a dot sucks. Uh, and you talk about how somebody sucks. That's going to be good faith. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, but, but, it, you know, the uniform domain name resolution policy wasn't crafted with any particular one country, uh, one country's set of rights in mind. Um, it, you know, for example, uh, it, it does require you to have a federally registered mark. Well, you know, trademark law doesn't necessarily come from the, the federal registration. So at least in the United States, in Europe, they're going to want you to register your trademark. So it wasn't really crafted with one particular country's set of laws in mind. It was, it was crafted to be an international resolution for something very narrow. And in that particular instance, uh, it, it is very narrow, which a lot of people find to be very efficient. Uh, it's arbitration. It's not. Uh, it's not a court. So uh, the way that it works is that you only get one shot. If you if you are filing the complaint, you'd better put everything that you can into that complaint because that's the only filing that you get. There's no hearing. There's no oral arguments. There's there are no witnesses. You've got to put it all in the complaint as to what is 
especially as to what is bad faith by the by by the the um you know other party registering the is there uh, any ability to amend that complaint or is it just it is what it is and you it, live or die by it it is what it is and you live or die by it so you really do need to do your work beforehand you got to know what you're doing too apparently yes you do need to know what you're doing <laughs> that's funny the standard is good faith but they don't care what good faith you had putting it together if you didn't know what you're doing you're screwed <laughs> yes um also since it's arbitration you get the you get a uh uh, the choice of a of a one person panel or a three person panel. Um, Which would you go with, Anthony? I would go with the three person panel, although the price is a lot more for three than for one. <laughs> so that is another issue. You're going to be paying. You know, if you request three three um, three arbitrators, you're going to be paying a lot more than if you are going to only go with one. Oh, I don't want to just split it three ways. No. Shocker. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> the United Nations. We know a thing or two about money. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and like I said, you need to put everything in. Um, the other side does get to, of course, uh, uh, defend their particular case. Uh, bad faith is a very high bar. So you had better find some reason that... Um, that it's there because frankly we've seen good faith found for something as small as we we set it we set up this domain name and we use our and we use our email through it here are some examples of emails that come through and that will be good faith so <laughs> yeah you you know you really have to do your work beforehand before filing one of these so that so that you can be successful about it so you're telling me that they have a Pollyanna view of domain cases is that oh I think they meant well it's the glad game right yes no it's 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 it, they do yes i think pollyanna is a very nice word for it. <laughs> but also they they do their damnedest to to bend over backwards for the people who own domains i had a case where um uh, my my clients um my client's domain contained the um italian word for egg and um uh in that particular case we what lost. is the Italian word for egg, Anthony? Ovo. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry, just had to had to hear it. Non parlo bene italiano, but but you know, I, I can get the accent here and there on words. Uh, <laughs> so, um, because even though even though it was registered, part of the reason that that we were knocked was well, egg is just a common word. Yeah, so so even even when it's registered, they they kind of like do their best to find for the party that's not complaining, which which on some ways makes sense. I mean, you can't have you can't have you know even somebody like Coca Cola, you, you know, filing for 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 a million different um, a million different domain name issues. Yeah, yeah, that it, it would overload the system. Again, not that the arbitrators would mind because they get paid per. <laughs> <laughs> they can pay you you know it's like you're pay us but you'll lose <laughs> oh ben i know i know all right so it's udrp is 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 efficient uh it does cost a lot less than 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 walking into federal court um but 
you know, like I said, the, the, the efficiency is a positive and a negative because you, you don't get to take your time to gather the evidence. You need to have done that beforehand. You get the one filing and that's about it. It's, it's, um, it's efficient, but, but that's a positive and a negative. How um, much does it cost? Like when you say it's less expensive, obviously anything is less expensive than federal litigation, but <laughs> <laughs> how much less Anthony, what's a ballpark, you know, no one will hold you to it. Um, I, if I recall correctly, it's, uh, the filing fee. Let's see. Let's see. It's probably has gone up, but the last time I did it, it was 1500 per judge. Um, let's see. Um, is it still 1500? Yeah, it is still $1,500 per per panelist look you know your stuff anthony <laughs> well no i i went clicky clicky here on my keyboard <laughs> yeah but that was what you said before you clicked <laughs> um and if you have three panelists you save a little money it's four thousand for the for the whole, for the whole okay yeah so you get one for a bargain price <laughs> <laughs> I will say at least at least there when you look up your choices for the panelists at least you're getting experienced intellectual property and internet lawyers um worldwide so so you know you're not getting I I don't mean to knock a personal injury lawyer but you're not getting a personal injury lawyer who then does domain names on the side just <laughs> not it's not to knock you might them. be good at it Anthony <laughs> <laughs> it's not to knock them. I'm just saying that these panelists are experienced in this area. This is what they do. Um, so, so at least you're, you're paying, at least you're paying for good experience. Uh, in terms of, of putting the complaint together, I hope you're putting a full complaint together and you're making it 30 to 40 pages long. So, I, I mean, whatever that takes, it takes, um, but, but your filing fees um, overall are, are not so bad. So what's happening with these cases in the U.S.? Well, if you're in the United States, um, you could file a, a, a trademark infringement suit. Um, obviously, a trademark infringement suit also requires a registered mark, um, uh, you know, if you're in federal court. But, hey, if, if, it, if it's similar and they're both used in commerce and there's consumer confusion, that that's going to be a key is proving that then then a trademark infringement suit seems to to work there um the other uh the other thought is in written into the uh in the lanham act in the last 20 years is what we call cyber piracy which is effectively um uh you know filing a register filing the exact registered trademark but maybe in a few other uh domain name extensions as well so if somebody yeah is is selling your trademark you know but uh, the .com the .co the you know, everything that else is that's related to it um you know that that could fall under cyber piracy as well um in 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 both actions there's a chance that you get your attorney's fees back which you'll never get with the, the UDRP um so you know you do have the ability to collect damages and and collect your attorney's fees and and get an order to have your domain name transferred. So that that 
is not uncommon, but of course it's it's fraught with the usual perils of walking into federal court, which is it's you know a much more formal process. It takes time. Um, I, I I have a client uh, down in Texas who was recently sued for copyright infringement, and basically they're you know having panic attacks every day, and I'm trying to calm them down. <laughs> panic attacks, but like a lot of you know yes, litigation is not. Um, emotionally <laughs> calming so so you have those particular issues plus again the usual you know my, my usual federal judge complaint as good as federal judges are and 99 percent of them don't have intellectual property experience until they sit on the bench which which you know could be an issue especially when you get into trickier issues such as is a trademark famous and how much weight do you need to 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 keep that in the analysis you can so, be a casualty of their learning curve uh, <laughs> I, I i do know someone older who used to say we have to teach the bench how to do it and i'm like okay let let i like to put my cynicism aside however when it comes to intellectual property it does get to be um well you do get to be cynical that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily cynical. It's realistic. I know. If they I don't know. know, they don't know. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, I I just ha I'm I'm coming off a, a a patent settlement where uh, we did a, a a settlement conference with the magistrate, and uh, both parties specifically said uh, that we would like a magistrate who has some kind of intellectual property experience. It doesn't have to be patent experience. And they just assigned us anyway to the first one who was free. And when we looked up her background, she was a securities um, attorney. And 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 you know we we're, you know the parties have settled the case because frankly economic factors matter more than more than that. But when I sat down during the settlement conference in in our private time, and we sat down with her and we went through the claims of the patent. I'm still not 100% sure if she understood what our defense was. So, um, I'm, you know, intellectual property is specialized. And a lot of judges, it, it, you know, what are the claims of a patent? <laughs> you know, how's that important as compared to the rest of it? You know, these are questions that, that may not necessarily, you know, be answered. But You don't want me as your judge on your intellectual property case, Anthony. I'm just telling you in advance <laughs> if I ever get there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I do want you as my child. <laughs> I mean, I will say this, at least I'll allow the, the attorneys to educate me and I won't pretend that I know something I don't know. <laughs> I, I I mean, I had, I had a case where during summary judgment, um, oral arguments, the judge, um, stopped us. I was not first chair, but this, the judge stopped us and said, well, the trademarks rhyme, right? I mean, that's, they rhyme so they sound the same and it's like that's not the analysis that that's that's the backwards way of doing it like like in trademark law what comes first matters more because consumers read left to right so just because two trademarks rhyme doesn't mean that they that they sound the same or or spelled the same you actually have to go in the opposite direction from left to right because what's more dominant in the trademark so i i you know I've had that path. 
Um, well, and that's it. If you start with a faulty premise, you're going to end up with a faulty conclusion. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, you can file the, so again, you can file the trademark and, and as we both know in federal litigation, most, most, most parties settle because who wants to, who wants to go and walk into federal court more than one time if you don't have a, an excellent case. And, you know, a lot of defendants do tend to get pretty scared by, um, you know, by the claims that combine a civil suit. So sometimes it's a good hammer to wield just for the fact that, look, the parties are going to settle as well. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, those are the, those are the, the two main paths. And, and like I said, in the U S you do have, um, not just likelihood of confusion, but you have cyber piracy as well. So that, and again, by the way, if you think, if you think judges have seen cyber piracy lawsuits before, it hasn't happened <laughs> they don't happen all that often. <laughs> now, cyber pi uh, piracy it, i assume that that's like a civil action that you yes. can bring but i mean there's also has to has to be criminal actions that arise from these things too because i imagine one of the main functions of having a cyber piracy scam is that you would misdirect traffic maliciously for the purpose of confusing people and perhaps you know stealing their credit card data if it was a sales site or, you know, something like that, or phishing, giving them the impression, you know, that they're logging into the home site when they're not, things like I've, that. Is that I've, right? Yes. I've got one for you. I've got a couple here for you. Uh, Global-pandemic-vaccines.com. <laughs> you think there's, you think there's probably some, some problem with, with that domain name? <laughs> probably. <laughs> Uh, so yes, um, if you have a website that is going to um, violate any any other kind of any other kind of federal law, whether it's FDA F, uh, FDA regulations, FTC regulations, if you're going straight for traditional crimes like uh, uh, identity theft, uh, then then yeah, that's going to be a crime, and the feds can actually seize your excuse me seize your domain name. And 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 I. All I know is that they can seize your domain name. What should we know about that after? I mean, well, basically, there's an entire line of criminal law in both federal and many states called asset forfeiture. And the notion is, is that it's trying to divest the value of crime. You know, people don't do this just for their, you know, the sake of it. I mean, I guess there are people that do, but usually it's a financial incentive behind crime. Otherwise, why bother? Right. Right. So in a case of a domain matter, just as I explained, what they are doing is they want to not only prevent and take away the thing that the person used in the crime, they also want to prevent their ability to continue to make money doing it and divest right. them of any money that they did get doing it. So in a case of, like you said, some sort of fraudulent website related to, you know, let's say FDA products, things like that, they would seize that domain so that it could no longer be used. And, you know, there's different standards um, for everything. Unlike in the New York state, the feds have a requirement that anything that they seize has to be directly tied to the crime. It can't be tangentially related to it, mm. um, which is something that is different in New York state, at least with respect to um, proceeds. In New York state, you can seize proceeds that are equivalent in the amount to the amount they made, but doesn't have to be actually the dirty money. 
What's so the, what's the difference there? The difference is this, is that um, let's say I, I work for, I mean, we're going to use money because that's the easiest to explain it with Of course, with money. You know, I got a suitcase of unmarked bills from the drug cartel in exchange for the product that I grew for them. Right. right. The feds have to actually find those bills that were in that suitcase. They have to find that dirty money and track it to the bank where that dirty money is sitting. Gotcha. They can't find, they can't just know that suitcase had a hundred grand in it or a million dollars in it. They have to know where those specific bills that were living in that suitcase, where those specific dirty money dollars ended up. Gotcha. Understood. Which is hard. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's very hard to track. And if the states were held to that standard, I think there'd be far less, you know, asset forfeiture cases brought by the state. Which is funny because notwithstanding that requirement, the feds are still the largest forfeiters of anything. Right. They forfeit any and everything that they can. Sure. That which makes perfect sense. Now I don't know how much they're going to be getting for 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 websites when they finally figure out, you know, you know, to you know, when um it's it's the good time to sell domain names that they've seized. I, I don't know how much they're possibly worth. Probably um, not. In that case, it's yeah. more of a deterrent effect, I would assume. Right. Um, but I guarantee you that if the website was used to acquire money, that all those dollars are seized as well, right along with the domain. Now, now I completely agree with you on, on that one. Um, it's just funny. In this one particular case, the feds uh, seized healthbridgescience.com. And, and it's kind of amazing that people thought that that was you know, something, you know, something to, to, to buy from, but here's one global dash pandemic dash vaccines.com. And, uh, you know, it, it's people, you know, read it and they were putting in their personal information, um, include, you know, and, and of course the people who, who get it, uh, were able to use their names and addresses and credit card numbers for, for fraud, for other phishing attacks deployment of malware um it was um it, it was it was just straight up fraud from from those domain names yeah i mean there's a lot of fraud related to these things i mean i recently had you know an inquiry from someone who wanted me to do a medical sales contract and before i did anything you looked up well who is this person what is their company right. you know of course the company was non-existent not registered anywhere that i could find and, you know, so then you circle back and you say, okay, well, you know, where is your documentation authorizing you to participate in the sale of medical right. equipment? You know, where, you know, and where is the authorization of the other party in the sale to receive it? You know, this is regulated, you know, area. And of course, yes, for anything and they suddenly disappear. But <laughs> the, the thing is, is that these scammers, you know, will try anything that they can and including, you know, going to attorneys and trying just to steal anything on attorney letterhead. Can you send me your retainer? Can you send me this? And then they will use it in conjunction with this and have even seen on some of these fraudulent web pages them saying that you can contact your attorney. And meanwhile, you contact the attorney and they're like, I remember that guy. They stole my letterhead. <laughs> you, you know, it was funny. I remember when these emails started coming in because we had a lot of colleagues who were really confused and a lot of colleagues were, of course, looking for new clients. Um, and and th they just were in shock when, um, 
you know, came when the rubber met the road and they would like get a check in the mail for like four times the retainer that, you know, and, and it turns out, you know, so it turns out that it's that old check scam. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just in shock about seeing that. And and it's like for, for many of our colleagues who are educated, who have been around educated people, uh, that it was funny how they just didn't see it. They, they were so focused on, I need a new client that they didn't see that particular scam hit them. Yeah, well, it's easy. If you don't think like a criminal, you don't think about how people are trying to rip you off. Heather Rubisi, I think like a criminal. I do. (laughs) I do. I've been steeped in it with all the time. I'm constantly, I mean, I've often said I could do a CLE on how, you know, I, I, one of my clients is a bank and I'm constantly amazed that their risk management protects them against things that Mm -hmm. no one would ever run as a scam. Like for example, I don't know if any of you have a bank that does this, but my bank, if you don't use your ATM card within six months, they cancel it. They just like assume you don't have it or something like that. And I said, well, Explain to me what fraud involves not using the ATM card that you've stolen. Like, (laughs) what are you like? Oh, I'm going to steal ATM cards. I'm going to make an art installation for them and not use them at all to take any of your money. Like, what scam is that? But you know what? That sounds like something um, instead of really, really a scam. That sounds like like loss protection so that if somebody drops an ATM card somewhere and somebody else picks it up after six months okay i mean i know that that's but like that's exactly time. it is like if it's loss protection and someone picks it up what scammer is going to pick it up and not use it <laughs> like you know what i'm saying like it, it it that's not protecting me that's aggravating me so when i was in the <laughs> middle of a snowstorm i went to go take out money and my atm card didn't work <laughs> you know so it <laughs> I'm just saying is that they don't have this practical experience and you, ha- and that's what I said. I said to the, the bank, the risk management leader, I said, listen, I was like, you need someone who's actually practiced criminal law of some capacity to explain to your, your folks that you're not protecting people against the obvious scam. Right. And I, I, the joke was I could do a CLE on how I could rip you off in you know, <laughs> 10 different ways. <laughs> Here's what you haven't protected people against. Heather Abyssey, the lawyer who could rip you off. Uh, no. My retirement plan, Anthony. Everyone's <laughs> got to have a plan. I am going to I can't get work in trouble forever. with this now. Uh, <laughs> well, look, I think we've, we've covered a lot here. And um, I think... Um, I think we'll we'll hit the end of of everybody's uh, ability to pay attention, and and so I'll tell you what um, I'm I'm hoping that by by this time next week our our case against um, the NFL and the Seahawks will be completely settled and signed and paid, so so uh, I think we'll we'll finally be able to draw the curtain a little bit on that because that is a very confusing trademark case, um, but it's a lot of fun. Great. Cause, cause, cause also now I get to say, you know, you know, we, we, we settled, we settled with the NFL. (laughs) Big things. All right, guys. Well, we will talk to you soon again, Heather. How can everybody find you? www.abyssylaw.com Heather at abyssylaw.com. And again, as always, you can find me at vernalaw.com and uh, don't forget to hit subscribe. Don't forget to rate us five stars. And, um, you know, one of these days I'll put, I'll put theme music back up here. 
we've been doing it pretty well without, but maybe one day I'll put theme music back. All right. And then jam us out, Anthony. <laughs> and intro and outro. I, I will do that <laughs> until next week. Take care, guys.